a frustrated minister has said, my counselor has finally forced me to face the fact that I am a failure in ministry. Permit me to list my evangelical demerits. Number one, I have never been to the Holy Land. I mean, not even as a visitor, let alone as a tour guide. I wince whenever I go and see a Holy Land ad in a magazine. My wife has even stopped buying kosher wieners because they make me feel convicted. It's terrible. Secondly, every program I've started has failed. Our evangelism explosion didn't explode. It gave an embarrassed pop and rolled over and died. Finis. Kaput. I attended a church growth seminar, and while I was gone, six families left the church. No explanation. They just up and disappeared. The refugee family we tried to sponsor refused to come. The last I heard, they were seeking asylum in a Chinese restaurant in St. Louis. Whenever I try dollar prayer, I get a wrong number. And it's usually a funeral home or a chicken carryout place. I tried dial a meditation the other day and a tape broke after the first sentence, which was, so things aren't going well today. It's frightening. Board meetings, you should attend them because no one else does. And I get the wildest excuses. The dog was sick or I had to change the light bulb in the garage or my wife needed both cars. Our church teams never win any games. Baseball, basketball, volleyball, shuffleboard, you name it, and we've lost it. The town Little League champs challenged us and won. I am thinking of sharing all of this with our denominational leaders, but they are never around when I phone, and all their letters to me are addressed to occupant. I have been told that failure could be the back door to success, but the door seems to be locked, and I can't find the key. Any suggestions? Yes, it's true. Ministry can be frustrating. Yet we are all called to minister. Uh, today's text, and if you turn with me, please, to John chapter 10, gives us the third I am statement of Jesus. I am the door, which, by the way, introduces our fourth I am statement, which is I am the good shepherd. Uh, let me just share some background with you uh, to today's uh, message. Uh, Jesus is described as the good shepherd. Pastoral life would be very familiar to the Jewish people. For instance, Abraham had flocks. We learned that from Genesis 13. Moses tended his father-in-law's flocks, Jethro. Uh, we see that in Exodus chapter 3. Uh, some of our favorite scripture passages uh, deal with the pastoral life. For instance, Psalm 23. You know the beginning so well. The Lord is my shepherd. I shall not want. But in today's text, and this is important to understand, Jesus contrasts himself with the Pharisees. Uh, look back to chapter 9 with me for just a moment, and notice verses 40 and 41. That's John 9, 40 and 41, because this sets the stage for today's text. Then some of the Pharisees who were with him heard these words and said to him, are we blind also? Jesus said to them, if you were blind, you would have no sin. But now you say, we see, therefore your sin 
remains. Uh, clearly, the Pharisees are spiritually blinded. Yet this passage is relevant for us today. Uh, we are called, my brother and sister, to be conformed to the image of Christ. Uh, Romans chapter 8 and verse 29 tells us that we are predestined, which simply means to be marked out ahead of time, to be conformed to the image of Jesus. Therefore, we are all to have a shepherd's heart. It's not just the pastors, as we learn about in 1 Peter chapter 5, uh, that are to have that kind of disposition, that sort of lifestyle, uh, but it's also for Sunday school teachers, for youth workers, for deacons, and yes, for even parents. We are all to be good shepherds. And today we're going to uh, learn about four principles uh, about the good shepherd that we can apply to our lives. So with that background now established, let me read to you our text, John chapter 10, verses 1 through 10. Jesus says, most assuredly, I say to you, he who does not enter the sheepfold by the door, but climbs up some other way, the same as a thief and a robber. But he who enters by the door is the shepherd of the sheep. To him the doorkeeper opens, and the sheep hear his voice, and he calls his own sheep by name and leads them out. And when he brings out his own sheep, he goes before them, and the sheep follow him, for they know his voice. Yet they will by no means follow a stranger, but will flee from him, for they do not know the voice of strangers. Jesus used this illustration, but they did not understand the things which he spoke to them. Then Jesus said to them again, Most assuredly I say to you, I am the door of the sheep. All who ever came before me are thieves and robbers, but the sheep did not hear them. I am the door. If anyone enters by me, he will be saved and will go in and out and find pasture. The thief does not come except to steal and to kill and to destroy. I have come that they may have life and that they may have it more abundantly. Would you bow your heads as I lead us in prayer? We thank you, Father, that Jesus is the door. We thank you, moreover, that he is the Good Shepherd. And as we continue our study in the Gospel of John with these wonderful I Am statements, may we appreciate the uniqueness of Jesus, that he truly is eternally God, and that he is our provider, and he is the light of the world. Speak to us again today, I ask in Jesus' name. Amen. We have four principles we want to learn today. Our first is this, good shepherds are granted access to sheep. Good shepherds are granted access to sheep. And we see this in John 10, 1 through 3a. Jesus begins with some familiar words, most assuredly. You've heard me say the Greek, amen, amen. Uh, Leon Morris gives an astute observation here. Let me give you his quote. Speaking of these two words, it always follows up some previous teaching. It indicates that the following statement is important, but also that it has a connection with the proceeding. So what Morris is pointing out 
is that the amen, amen words connect with the previous section. There we saw that the Pharisees were spiritually blind and now introduces more information here, what the Lord wants us to have. Jesus says, he who does not enter the sheepfold by the door. Literally, the Greek says here, into the fold of the sheep. The term fold uh, originally was used of an uncovered or an unroofed space uh, by a house enclosed with a wall. Uh, Today, when you think of the fold, you can think of an enclosed structure without a roof. Uh, There are usually more than one flock uh, that were kept in the fold at night. So the individual that doesn't come in by the door, the appropriate way of entrance, but climbs up some other way, the same as a thief and a robber. The Greek word for thief, listen carefully, kleptes. Kleptes. You know the word kleptomaniac? That's where this term uh, comes up in the English, if you will. Uh, A kleptes is a thief, and it was used of Judas. In John chapter 12 and verse 6, usually the term pertains to a sneak thief. Someone who secretly steals something, trying to keep his identity concealed. But Jesus also says not only a thief, but a robber. The word for robber here is used of Barabbas. In John 18 in verse 40, A robber is someone who is trying to deprive another of their possessions, but oftentimes it's done with violence and openly. It's not like the sneak thief. Jesus here, using these two terms, is referring to the Pharisees who tried to bypass him to have entrance to the sheep. Now in verse 2. But he who enters by the door is the shepherd of the sheep. A reference here, I believe, to Jesus. Uh, Down in chapter 10, in verse 16, Jesus says, other sheep I have. So Jesus is the shepherd. Uh, The term for shepherd occurs 18 times uh, from the Greek New Testament. Listen to Hebrews 13 in verse 20, speaking about Jesus, that great shepherd of the sheep. He's that great shepherd. 1 Peter 2.25, For you were like sheep going astray, but have now returned to the shepherd and overseer of your souls. The term shepherd uh, we know as pastor, as translated in Ephesians 4.11, derives our English term from the Latin for shepherd. Jesus says in verse 3, first half of verse 3, to him, the doorkeeper opens. See, because he is granted access to the sheep. It's a privilege. It's a great privilege and honor for us that are entrusted with God's sheep. So we see, number one, good shepherds are granted access to the sheep. Our second principle is this. Good shepherds lead by example. 
by example. Look at the second half of verse 3. And the sheep hear his voice, and he calls his own sheep by name and leads them out. See, within the numerous folds would be a lot of sheep with various shepherds. But the good shepherd leads them out. Have you watched a Western where those on the range drive the sheep? They get behind them, perhaps with a sheepdog, and drive them. That's not the way it is in first century Israel. Shepherds lead the sheep. Today, as I was reviewing this message, I looked up in my study. On the wall is a picture that my wife and I took in 1993. We were in Bethlehem by the sheepfolds, and there was a shepherd boy leading the sheep. You would think he was taking them to school. They were paired up right behind him, comfortably following the shepherd. Here's what I want to ask you today. Do you lead a life that is worthy of imitation? Are you an individual that could say, come follow me, imitate me as I follow Christ? Let's uh, probe this topic a little bit further. Uh, turn with me, please, over to 1 Corinthians uh, chapter 4. 1 Corinthians chapter 4. And we'll pick it up in verse 16. The Apostle Paul writes to the church that he founded. Therefore I urge you, imitate me. Mimic me is the idea. And then he goes on, and, and, and don't miss the connection in verse 17. For this reason I have sent Timothy to you, who is my beloved and faithful son in the Lord, who will remind you of my ways in Christ as I teach everywhere in every church. Did you see the connection? Paul follows Christ. Now he has trained Timothy, who will remind the Corinthians of Paul's ways. What are Paul's ways? Christ's ways. That's how it is supposed to be. And you need to take a good, hard look at your life and ask the question, am I worthy to follow? Am I so close to Jesus that I would want others to be just like me? Second illustration of this, 2 Corinthians chapter 12. Would you turn there? 2 Corinthians chapter 12. In the book of 2 Corinthians, Paul's defending his apostleship. Judaizers had crept into church, individuals who wanted to mix law with grace, which can't be mixed, <laughs> like oil and water, and attacked the character of Paul. 2 Corinthians 12, look at 17 and 18. Paul asked that I take advantage of you by any of those whom I sent. To you, I urged Titus and sent our brother with him. Did Titus take advantage of you? And then Paul goes on to ask, did we not walk in the same spirit? Did we not walk in the same steps? In essence, Paul is asking the Corinthians 
about the lives of those that he had dispatched to minister to them. Were they not like me? Asked Paul. They are. That is what good shepherds do. They lead such a life that they can have others follow them because they lead by example. Back with me, please. John chapter 10. And notice here now, down in verse 4. And when he brings out his, and you might want to underline or circle the word own, his own sheep, he goes before them. See, good shepherds know the realm of their authority and don't try to steal other sheep. Observe, and the sheep follow him, for they know his voice. Shepherds are very familiar with their own sheep, and the sheep are comfortable with their shepherd. And by the way, Howard Hendricks has <laughs> written it well, if you can't stand the smell of sheep, you shouldn't be a shepherd. You've got to get into the lives of the sheep. <laughs> You've got to let them know you care about them. You have to spend time with them. That's what good shepherds do. And then the sheep are comfortable with the shepherd. Jesus then says in verse 5, yet they will by no means follow a stranger. You're probably getting familiar now with the ume construction. It's a double negative. The strongest way from the Greek New Testament to say it's not going to happen. Yet they will by no means follow a stranger, but will flee from him, for they do not know the voice of strangers. Case studies have shown this to be 100% true. Strangers have gone to a particular shepherd's flock, called to the sheep, tried to get the sheep to follow him, and they would not follow because they were not familiar with that individual. See, yet they will by no means follow a stranger, but will flee from him, for they do not know the voice of strangers. And then Jesus says in verse 6, or John inserts here really, Jesus used this illustration. But they did not understand the things which he spoke to them. In essence, our Lord gives a proverb as he is giving this lesson. And the Pharisees, remember, they're the ones back in 9, 40 and 41 that Jesus was addressing. They didn't get the memo. They didn't understand what he was saying. This is why he speaks to them in, if you will, a parable. When did Jesus, by the way, start using parables? In Matthew chapter 13 and verse 1, it says, on the same day, and he's speaking here about when he gave parables, was the same time that the religious leaders accused Jesus of casting out demons by the power of Satan. As the nation rejected the Lord, he started to speak to them in parables. Isn't it intriguing? How Jesus speaks and the religious hierarchy don't get it. They do not understand what he is doing here. Now for our third point. Good shepherds lead their sheep 
to Jesus. Yeah, if you're going to be out in front, you have to have a point of direction. Where are you going? Good shepherds lead their sheep to Jesus. Verses 7 through 9a. Jesus said to them again, most assuredly I say to you. Now remember the words most assuredly connecting what has previously been stated with what is now being introduced. I am the door of the sheep. The word door is used metaphorically in other New Testament passages. Luke 13, 24, Acts 14, 27, 1 Corinthians 6, 9, where Paul talked about an open door for the gospel. But here, and it's the only place in Scripture, in John 10, when Jesus is called the door. He's the way to God. Lord willing, we'll study John 14, 6 in the future where Jesus is the way, he's the truth, he's the life. No one goes to the Father except through him. Now let me explain to you the first century setup of a sheepfold. Shepherds would deposit their sheep in the sheepfold overnight for safekeeping. There usually was not a literal door on the sheepfold. So oftentimes, the shepherd himself would sleep across what we might consider the threshold or the doorway. Can you get the picture? There is the Lord Jesus there protecting the sheep, watching over them. He is the only way to the sheep. He's very zealous for his own. And Jesus is. He is the door here. What a beautiful picture. He continues to point out, verse 8, all who ever came before me are thieves and robbers. And by now, you're making a connection. He's speaking to the Pharisees. He's speaking to the religious leaders who, instead of feeding the flock, fleeced the flock. They were more interested in manipulating the children of God than serving them. This was nothing new. By the way, even as far back as Ezekiel chapter 34, Ezekiel calls out the false shepherds. Those individuals who were getting rich off of the sheep. So Jesus in verse 8 says, All who came before me are thieves and robbers, but the sheep did not hear them. Can I illustrate this for you? John chapter 9. Let's go back there for just a moment. John chapter 9. Coming down to verse 27. Do you recall Jesus healing the man who was born blind? The Pharisees interrogate the man. They want to know everything about Jesus. Verse 27. He answered them, I told you already, and you did not listen. See, he had explained to them what Jesus had done. Why do you want to hear it again? Do you also want to become his disciples? He knew they didn't. Verse 28. Then they reviled him and said, you are his disciple, but we are Moses' disciples. We know that God spoke to Moses. As for this fellow, we do not know where he is from. The man answered and said to them, why? This is a marvelous thing that you do not know where he is from, 
yet he has opened my eyes. They should have known. Who else gives sight to the blind? Who else has the ability to take a man who is born blind and grant sight to him? Only God. Verse 31. Now we know that God does not hear sinners, but if anyone is a worshiper of God and does his will, he hears him. Since the world began, it has been unheard of that anyone opened the eyes of one who was born blind. If this man were not from God, he could do nothing. What a great sermon. Notice the Pharisees' response. They answered and said to him, you were completely born in sin. See, this is ad hominem. You can't defeat his argument, so you attack the man. And then they said, are you teaching us? And they cast him out. Great leaders. No wonder why the sheep would not follow the Pharisees. And that's what Jesus is doing. He's exposing their wicked hearts. So our third point, good shepherds lead their sheep to Jesus. And now our fourth and final principle. Good shepherds guide the sheep to a super abundant existence. I love this. Good shepherds guide the sheep to a super abundant existence. Notice here in the second half of John 9 about those that are led to be saved and will go in and out and find pasture. Jesus grants us not only eternal life, but then he provides for us spiritually and physically. That's our Lord. That's who he is. And by way of contrast to that, verse 10, the thief does not come except to steal and to kill and to destroy. A reference to the Pharisees. Who were they imitating? John chapter 8 in verse 44. You are of your father the devil, and the desires of your father you want to do. He was a murderer from the beginning and does not stand in the truth because there is no truth in him. When he speaks a lie, he speaks from his own resources, for he is a liar and the father of it. The spiritual parent of the Pharisees, Satan himself. Jesus knows this. Jesus says then that I have come that they may have life. The thief comes to steal, to take for himself. Jesus came to give. For God so loved the world that he gave. Did not Jesus willingly participate in that? Jesus says I not only lay my life down, See, that's a gift to us. But he took it back up again. No one took his life from him. He gave it to us freely. And then Jesus culminates here in John 10.10 in that they may have it, speaking about life, more abundantly. It means an abundantly superfluous life, having more than enough. That is what our Lord does. John chapter 15. Let's take a look at this together in verse 11. John 15, 
verse 11. These things I have spoken to you that my joy may remain in you. See, not just to be in you, but to stay in you. And that your joy may be full. Only Jesus can give us more than enough. Only Jesus can satisfy the soul. So let's step back for just a moment. And let's think about what we've seen today in John 10, 1 through 10. And consider how we need to act upon this passage. First thing I'd like to point out is that we need to cherish our access to the sheep because it's divinely granted. It's the Almighty that has given you and I the privilege to minister to the sheep. It is a sacred privilege. It is a sacred calling. And unlike the Pharisees who tried to climb up the side of the sheepfold, the good shepherd gives us access to the sheep. Let's handle them with care. Let us lead them the way we ought. The second thing I'd like to point out to, to you is that we need to confess and forsake what is keeping us from being worthy of imitation. Let's get serious here. What is it that is in your life that you know is a hindrance to people becoming more like Christ? What is it that you are giving into that needs to be changed? What is your sin? What is the one thing you need to forsake so that you can say, come follow me as I follow Christ? I can remember as a child, there was a commercial on TV, and that's going back a lot of decades. And there was a little boy with his dad and they were doing all kinds of things together, including washing the car. And it was so cute because the little boy was imitating his father in everything he was doing. And then the way the commercial ended, the dad went and reached for a cigarette. And the idea is, now what will the child do? We have to think about our sons and daughters, our grandchildren, our nephews, our nieces, our cousins, We need to think about our co-workers. We need to think about our neighbors. We need to think about all those that watch our lives. Is there something? Are there many things that you are ashamed about? That you know you need to confess and forsake? So you could be like a Paul who could say, imitate me as I imitate Christ. I'm going to dispatch now Timothy. He spent time with me. He knows my ways because of the ways of Christ. I'm going to share with you Titus, who spent time with me. He's been under my tutelage, and now he can go to you and remind you of me as, I, as he reminds you ultimately of Christ. Would you get it right today? And then don't ever forget this third concept. We need to lead the sheep to Jesus, who alone can protect. And feed them. We have no inherent ability. To bring people to maturity. It's not in us. We need to point them to the good. Shepherd. In closing. Hebrews chapter 13. Hebrews chapter 13. 
And that's your eyes, your finger take you down there to 1320. Now may the God of peace who brought up our Lord Jesus from the dead, that great shepherd of the sheep. I love that expression. He's the great shepherd of the sheep. Through the blood of the everlasting covenant, make you complete in every good work to do his will. Working in you. What is well-pleasing in his sight through Jesus Christ, to whom be glory forever and ever. Amen. We need to direct all the sheep to the Lord Jesus Christ. And he is the one who can complete them, who can mature them for every good work. Let's pray. Thank you, Father. What a joy to think about your son as the door. Such a joy for me to have entered through the door into your presence. Even right now as I close this in prayer, I speak to the Father. And the only reason I have access to you is because of my relationship with Christ. He has imputed his righteousness to me. What a joy. So thank you, Lord. And I would pray, oh, how I'd pray for each one today that they would take the lessons from John 10, 1 to 10 to heart, that they would change their lives, if there's anything in them that is not worthy of imitation. And then, Father, help all of us corporately to take the sheep to the presence of Jesus, the only one that can sustain and nourish them. Lord, may we walk with humility and understand that privilege that we've been 